Hello and welcome to Matthew Felix on air coming to you from I got to drop my computer here from San Francisco, California. People who create and people who make a difference. I hope you had a great couple of weeks. I did as those of you who uh, listened to my last episode with Borderlands founder Alan Beats know last week I was at Burning Man for the very first time and Everyone in San Francisco knows what Burning Man is since the city practically shuts down for the week that it's going on. But for those of you who don't know, it's a week-long annual event in the Black Rock Desert of northwestern Nevada, which the event organizers describe as a temporary metropolis dedicated to community, art, self-expression, and self-reliance. It was first held in... uh, Wait a second, I want to make sure of something here... It was uh, first held in 1986, 32 years ago, on Baker Beach in San Francisco, and has been held annually ever since. First event had 35 people. Last year, there were nearly 70,000 people, and I did read someplace that this year the limit was 70,000 as well. Uh, let's see. I had uh, wanted to go for years, and but I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. And it was really interesting because when I would mention to people that I was going... Uh, If they'd been before, they would burst out with, you know, you're going to love it. Uh, Just every single time, if someone had already been, they would tell me that I was going to love it. If they had never been before, sometimes there was a little bit, it was interesting, the reactions seemed to have a little bit maybe of judgment. Uh, You know, some of the things Burning Man is known for are sex, drugs, running around naked, and that doesn't necessarily appeal to everyone, uh, although I'm not sure why. But uh, in more recent years, it's also gotten a bit of a bad rap because of some of the tech gazillionaires who use it as, a, uh, as, an, as an opportunity, kind of miss the point, and use it as an opportunity to flaunt their, their wealth by you know, flying in lobsters to the middle of the desert, for example. Uh, so again, I wasn't sure what to expect. The other issue, though, was you know, had I waited too long. Like I said, the event started with 35 people in the, on the beach. Now it's up to 70,000 people in the desert. So I couldn't help but wonder, you know, had it lost some of its spirit? Had it changed so much that, again, maybe I had missed the boat? Well, I'm happy to report that I loved it. It's true there are plenty of drugs and sex and nudity, but if those aren't your things, there's still plenty of things that you can do. You know, everyone can have their own experience is what, is what I learned as I was having my own experience. A lot of things struck me. First off, just getting to what's called the playa. And this is the vast, just this, this expanse of desert that's almost perfectly flat. It's like this, this sand that's almost like chalk. And you, you might have seen pictures, or I had seen pictures beforehand uh, of the playa, and you think, or at least I thought, that you have some sense for just how vast, how expansive this place is. Well, until you get there, you don't. You just can't. And so that was the first thing that hit me when I got to Burning Man was just, this place is just amazing. It was just mind-blowing. But then on top of that, it's not just the desert. Dotted throughout the desert in all directions, as far as the eye can see, you've got uh, this, this incredible art, most of which is metalwork, and a lot of which are giant sculptures of metalwork. And so... You just kind of bike around and you go see the different installations and a lot of them you can interact with. You can sit in sometimes, you can climb on them. And so it's just really impressive, really creative, and again, a lot of fun. And that's just during the day. At night, uh, things go to a whole different level. And uh, that, that, that was definitely one of the most impressive things, of course, again, is you know what, what happens at night. Because... All of these installations and everything that I just mentioned, 
they're lit up. And not only are they lit up, but you've got art cars out in the playa. And these art cars were also just, just mind-boggling. These people, I guess, spend uh, you know years working on these cars. And uh, I, I would assume, I don't know how long they take, but, but I assume that a lot of them come back year after year. But they're these vehicles that are made from cars or oftentimes from buses. And they're transformed again into basically moving sculptures. And some of them are funny. Some of them are moving dance parties. And so at nighttime, you have these cars moving around. You have the installations that are already there. And the entire desert just becomes this, this explosion of light and music. And it's just, just really, really impressive. And it's hard to describe unless you're experiencing it firsthand. Some of the cars, though, that I have to mention, because um, like I said, some of them are funny. So for example, there was this giant VW Bug that was really cute. And there were two uh, giant VW vans that I loved. There was also a giant scrubbing bubble and I can't remember what the what the uh, the that that cleaner is that cleans the the tubs. So anyway, there was one of those those scrubbing bubbles was this giant, again art car, this moving vehicle, uh, all lit up at night. And then um, uh, and then there were also a uh, couple of Pac-Man ghosts, which were uh, really funny and and interesting. Uh, but there was more. So so in addition to the sculptures, in addition to all that. There, uh, one morning I had free French toast. I also participated in a shamanic car wash. I got a free massage. I talked to a lot of interesting strangers in the center camp. And I listened to an opera performance. I listened to a guy's first ever accordion performance in public. I listened to a talk about Central Asia. So there was just so much going on. Um, I also spent quite a bit of time jumping on a trampoline, and I danced a lot, my favorite party being the Balkans one. And uh, uh, they also had shots, and they had great music from, from the former Yugoslavian uh, countries. So, so much more I could say, but again, the point is that it was a lot of fun, and I recommend it to anyone who can weather a sandstorm. There were quite a few, and uh, for a few days after I came back, I felt as if I'd eaten a sandbox. And uh, just make sure, the only thing I would say is you've got to have an open mind and an adventurous, adventuresome soul to, to head out there. So that was my very high-level uh, review of Burning Man. Something else I wanted to mention before we get into today's show is that this week I finally managed to launch my new podcast on uh, iTunes. And uh, I am really excited. This uh, new podcast takes segments from what was my radio show and is now this video podcast. And it makes them available for the first time ever on iTunes and Google Play. As the name suggests, each episode features one interview with a writer, photographer, filmmaker, or someone else otherwise involved in the written word or uh, visual images. The first episode is out already. Like I said, it just came out this week, and it features Jasmine Darznick, who is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Song of a Captive Bird, which is a fictional account of Iran's trailblazing woman poet, Farouk Farouksad. The second episode is a funny, illuminating interview with one of the world's most accomplished photographers, Bob Holmes. And we discussed his interview with, An or his, his friendship, rather, with Ansel Adams, running from, from his, for his life uh, from captors in the Himalaya and dressing inappropriately for the Queen of England. So two more episodes are out this week. All over coffee writer and artist Paul Madonna is coming out on uh, his episode. is It's going to be out on, on Wednesday. And then Outside Magazine founder and travel writing legend Tim Cahill's episode where he speaks in Spanish 
what is probably the first time ever in public uh, is out on Thursday. And he, he tells a, a really moving uh, story about penguins in the Barcelona Zoo. So you definitely don't want to miss that, especially if you didn't hear it the first time. So please check them out. Oh, I just I should also say that a travel series will follow once the Words and Images series is done, and then a Society and Culture one will follow as well. Almost ready to jump into today's show. First, though, I want to mention my upcoming ones. Next week at uh, 2 o'clock Pacific, 5 o'clock Eastern, uh, Kimberly Lovato and Jill Robinson will be on to talk about their new book, 100 Things to Do in San Francisco Before You Die. I've never met Jill, but Kimberly has been on the show before, so I know we will have a great time. Zoe Elton from the Mill Valley Film Festival will be making a return visit to talk about this year's festival, as will Jane Ganahl, who will be telling us all about this year's San Francisco Litquake. I'm also really excited about a show that I'm going to do in November. Um, photographer, writer, and Hidden Compass co-founder Savani Babu is going to be on, and she's going to talk about something that seems really interesting to me, which is dark sky conservation. And it's not something I know very much about, but it, when I heard that she was doing an article on this and, and the fact that there's a movement to actually preserve the skies, to preserve the skies specifically from, from light pollution, I just thought that that was really interesting, really worthwhile, and I wanted to know more. So Savani is going to be on in November, and we're going to talk about that then. But enough about the future. Let's move into today's show. Most guests that I have on my show have a book, or they work for an organization, or they have some sort of project to promote. However, it turns out that if we meet at a party and we have an interesting enough conversation, you too apparently can be on my show. <laughs> at least uh, that's the case with today's guest. Uh, Nahid Fatahi works as a clinical research associate at Kaiser Permanente, uh, their division of research, and as a clinical intern at Fremont's Youth and Family Services. She moonlights as a grad student at Santa Clara University studying clinical counseling and psychology. She will be graduating in May of 2019. She also sits on the advisory board of Partnerships for Trauma Recovery, which we're going to talk about. And because she clearly doesn't have enough going on, she writes short stories and poetry. I mean, of course she does. Why wouldn't she, right? When she's going, she's got two jobs and is going to school full time. And, uh, and, and before I skip, I just want to say that one of her poems was, uh, uh, was published in One Story, 30 Stories, an anthology of contemporary Afghan-American literature. And many more of her poems can be seen on her Instagram profile, which is Fatahi, which is F-A-T-T-A-H-I underscore Nahid. But what I started to say, though, is she, she does all these things. And by the way, she also has a husband, son, and daughter. So anyway, welcome, Nahid. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to have you here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in today. And uh, we have so much to talk about. But the, the one thing I didn't say, of course, I said it in, the, um, in the, the, the promo materials and things on social media, is that you're also an Afghani refugee. Yes. So, or you were. And um, I guess, I don't know, is, is one... Always, or I, I was wondering about that before the show. Are you a refugee, or were you a refugee? Um, that's a good question. You know, yeah. <laughs> and we don't have to. We don't have to decide that now. I didn't know if in your mind there was one clear cut answer. I, th I think I I'm not. Uh, my I have not been defined as a refugee for right. at least the past twenty something years. Right. But there was a time that I was a refugee, meaning we took refuge in a foreign country that was not our home and we had to leave our everyday life 
uh, to go and to save our lives. Right. Um, so that defined me as a refugee. Right. That being said, um, I think once you're a refugee, you always have this part, this history that is always a part of you and that never leaves you and you don't want it to leave you either because mm -hmm. i think that's what makes many of us who we are today right we right. want to thrive for more for better you know and help others who are in that situation and we're going to talk about ways in which you do that because you do a lot of that so first though whenever i have uh someone on that's that's we're going to talk about a specific country. Mm -hmm. I like to go on Wikipedia and just um, just find a few things related to that country. Of so course. just some interesting facts. <laughs> so uh, what I'm not going to do is try to summarize the entire history of Afghanistan because I looked at the summaries and it's just, I mean, it goes so far back and it's so complicated. So these are just some random, hopefully interesting facts that I found on Wikipedia. Thank you for Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So first off, Afghanistan is the world's 41st largest country, slightly bigger than France and smaller than Burma, so it's about the size of Texas. It borders Pakistan in the south and east, Iran in the west, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Tajikistan in the north, and China in the far east. It is a unitary presidential Islamic republic, I'm not sure exactly what that is, <laughs> uh, with a population of 35 million, mostly composed of ethnic Pashtuns, Tajiks, Hazaras and Uzbeks. An important site of early historical activities, many believe, this I found really interesting, many believe that Afghanistan compares to Egypt in terms of the historical value of its archaeological sites. So mm -hmm. um, before Islam was introduced in 642, people of the region were mostly Buddhists and Zoroastrians. And the one archaeological thing that I did already know about the country is, of course, the two famous Buddhas of Bamiyan who were, um, that, that, that were destroyed by the Taliban because they were considered adulterous. But apparently there's, there's lots more archaeologically in Afghanistan. There's also lots more with regards to uh, minerals. In 2010, U.S. and Afghan government officials estimated that untapped mineral deposits discovered in 2007 by the U.S. Geological Survey were worth at least $1 trillion. So that's, uh, they're sitting on a gold mine, so to mm -hmm. speak. They're also sitting on a lithium mine. A Pentagon memo stated that Afghanistan could become the, quote, Saudi Arabia of lithium. Yeah. So lithium is a big deal. Um, I think that's in our computers. Don't we use lithium? I was going to look up what we use lithium for. I think it's either cell phones or computers or both. Anyway, it's a big I deal. I think they use it in a lot of things. A and lot of things. The value is just so tremendous, and that is a very true uh, statement where you know it can be the next saudi arabia of well of the world of the world <laughs> with right. lithium not with oil. lithium of lithium <laughs> not oil right saudi arabia already has the oil thing <coughs> down but um look out because here comes afghanistan with lithium yeah. but they also uh they're also known for agricultural production specifically and that's the backbone of the afghan economy or sorry yeah afghan economy uh, they're known for pomegranates, mm -hmm. grapes, apricots, melons, and several other fresh and dry fruits. And saffron now. And saffron. Yes. I love saffron. Yes. Mm, yes. Okay. We and are, saffron. We are hoping to um, replace opium with saffron. With saffron. Uh-huh. Yeah. And why? <laughs> well. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Uh, okay. I love saffron. I'm, I completely support that. I've never tried opium. Maybe I would like opium as well. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it is the world's largest producer of opium. Sources indicate that as much as 11% or more of the nation's economy is currently derived 
from the cultivation and sale of opium. Mm -hmm. And of course, as Nahid just said, hopefully that's going to change and, and be more and more replaced by saffron production. And the last factoid that I found here on Wikipedia, according to Transparency International, Afghanistan remains in the top most corrupt uh, countries list. A January 2010 report published by the United, United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime revealed that bribery consumed an amount equal to 23% of the GDP of the nation. So that is a lot of bribery going on. And hopefully, hopefully that situation's improving. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, anyway, so those are just, just a few sort of things, like I said, that I dug up on Wikipedia, and that's mostly stuff from today. Mm -hmm. But let's go back and, um, and talk about what was going on in Afghanistan when you fled. Mm -hmm. And because, because you did flee the country and you mm -hmm. fled, as you said, it sounds like 20 years ago. I mean, it's been a long time. But what was going on at that time and that made it necessary for you and whomever else you fled sure. with, I don't know if it was your whole family or, you know, to, yeah. to flee. And where did you flee to well, and how? Yeah, it, it was more than 20 years ago. It was in, I think, 1994 it was, uh, or three. Um, and the reason we fled was because uh, of the Soviet Union. So at that time, the country was... Um, under the Soviet Union, they attacked Afghanistan. The Cold War was going on. That's the start of uh, Taliban, ISIS, uh, Al-Qaeda, and everything, because US was funding the Mujahideen um, to fight the Russians, and Russians were fighting Afghans to uh, occupy Afghanistan. Um, I come from a family that, who were against the uh, Russians and who were against the Communist Party. So because of that, um, mostly to save my father's life, we had to leave. And so we, I mean, I remember it vividly that we left um, in the middle of the night because you had to leave very quietly, right. and, you know. At that time, nobody really trusted anyone. Uh, when you had to leave, you would not share it with people. Mm. You would just found a uh, smuggler, a human smuggler, and then they would take you to the other side. Um, and the other side was either Iran, because uh, it's the neighboring country, or Pakistan. I'm from Herat, so we were the closest to Iran. Mm -hmm. And um, so we left our beautiful house. I remember it had an orchard, uh, a fruit orchard. Um, it was the, the house, it was a brick building in the middle of this big fruit orchard. So we left all of that um, and a lot of memories and many of our relatives. And we, we went to Iran on the yeah. back of donkeys, yeah. <laughs> to be yeah. more precise. Well, yeah, and, and could you be a little more precise? Because, I mean, that sounds... Can you tell us exactly what you remember? Like you said, it's been over 20 years ago, but you remember it so vividly yeah. because it was so intense. Yeah. So, so first of all, because you were, what, like a grade school? No, so I was how? four, so I was born in okay. 80. So you were, yeah. okay, so yeah, you were so I really was a, little. Yeah, I was, I was little, and my brother was a baby. Mm -hmm. And when we left, I remember... I remember they told us not to make any noises. And you, of course, didn't know this was happening when you went to bed that night. Uh, they didn't tell you probably until they woke you no, up. No. Because you're four years they, old. They wake you up and you... But I kind of knew what is going on. Oh, you did? Um, yeah, because, you know, they were gathering some of the things. And we just knew that we have to leave. Yeah. That was for sure. Yeah. 
Um, so, um, and I, I'm, I'm the first child and, you know, first children are very nosy. <laughs> I'm a first child as well. There you go. So yeah, yeah. there we go. We kind of have that. I would have known. Yeah. I definitely would have yeah, known. Yeah, yeah. I knew that. Something's some going on here. <laughs> we are leaving Ohio. <laughs> we are not staying in Ohio through the night. Something exactly. is changing. Yeah, I would have yeah. known. Something very ma major. Yeah. So, but, so the, the, somebody, the human smuggler shows up at your house. You guys, I, I can't remember exactly the details, like if they showed up or I think we went, I think, no, I think we went, we had to drive to a certain point right, that makes more sense, and yeah. then met with them. And then it wasn't just us, it was other people as well. So it was a group. Okay. Yeah, it was a group yep. of people, group yep. of people that yep. had to escape. Um, and we had to escape because I think my father's life, I mean, we knew that they're going to come for him. Right. They did a few times. They already had tried. They already had tried. Wow. Yeah. And by them i mean the government it was like the fbi of afghanistan yeah um i think it was referred to and still is referred to as hot so it's the internal security okay um so they were coming for they did come for him previously um and what happened was that my father's family they were um what do you call it i think the word for it is the feudals they were the the feudals? Yes. They, they were landowners. They were landowners. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were the ones that the Communist Party was attacking and targeting, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's basically, um, they, they came for him. And I think they did take him from the stories then that I heard later. Um, and I think one of our farmers... Uh, was working at the as as a as a government sort of agent. Yeah. No, and then he told my father. He said, "You know, your family has done so much for me and your father." And that's and that's the another. You know, uh, right now you're just talking about Afghanistan and some of the great things and some of the awful things. Um, but the one thing with Afghans is that I don't know. They just have this eternal gratitude. You know, for for people for. Um, for each other mm -hmm. uh, and I, I like to think that it was because of that um, that he um, rescued my father the first time right and then he let him know that they're coming for you and you will be gone so that you had time a to and the out. way that people were gone was that they were gone like you would not know if they're alive or if they're dead right um, and of course many of them um, were you know uh, getting um, prosecuted executed, executed yeah. exactly yep so do you remember being, uh, because this is a very mountainous region, I think, crossing from, from yeah, taking the crossing. Yeah, but I went. think, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't exactly remember the surroundings much. I remember yeah. it was night, it was dark. You were on a mule, uh, you said. Mm -hmm. You were on mules, yes, you said. Yes, yes, donkeys or donkeys, mules. Donkeys, yeah. yeah. I don't know what I they are. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty close. They look very similar. They're very similar. <laughs> don't say that to them. <laughs> you don't want to tell a mule that it's a donkey because they're going to get upset. I know but it wasn't a horse, for it sure. It was not a horse or a pony. <laughs> or a pony. Okay, okay. We've narrowed it down to two possible, yeah. two possible species. <laughs> I don't even know. Are they species? Exactly. Okay. Uh, or transportation mean for that time. <laughs> right, right. And great for mountains. <laughs> Absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah. And was it just um, one night or were you on the road for days? I, I don't think, know, because no, mules don't go very fast. Yeah, um, they're really I, sweet, I think, but they're not fast. Yeah, I think it was for a couple of days. A couple of days. Um, and um, I think that the region um, in the border of uh, Herat, where we lived and where we are from, uh, to our destination, which was the closest city in Iran that is on the border of uh, Afghanistan. Um, I think the name of the city, if I remember it correctly, is Taipei. Taibat, Taibat, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's where we went. Um, and I don't think um, it's, I, I can't remember the mountains. Maybe it was. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, it was night and you were four years old. So <laughs> four or five. Yeah. Four or five. Yeah. So how long then? So you get to uh, you get to Iran and do you know, and again, you were so young, maybe you maybe you, you didn't know. But did you have a sense for how long this was just supposed to be a temporary no, situation? Yeah, it was supposed to be a temporary situation. And our um, our goal was to uh, not stay in Iran. We did not want to stay in Iran. Mm-hmm. Our goal was to um, then maybe go to Pakistan and then from there uh, migrate to um, so possibly the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, or somewhere in Europe. Yep. Uh, and that's what many of the uh, refugees um, did back then. Right. Um, and still do. And still Trying do. To get to the yeah. West. Yeah. It, it, you know, you wouldn't want to go and become a refugee in Iran. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> the country has a lot of issues already, right? And the people um, that, you know, and refugees are not welcome there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do speak Farsi, the. Or a version of Farsi? I speak, yeah, I speak Farsi. Right. Um, so at I'm least you guys, you had the linguistic thing yes, going yes, for you. Yes, I don't know yes, if yes. that... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely we did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Um, so we went, we were there and um, I can't really remember the details um, on what was decided. And I just remember we went to a house that other people were living there as well. And we had to rent a room. And thankfully we had enough means to be able to do that. Uh but um, but so you, you thought you were just going to be there for a short while, but then how long did you end up staying? Oh, <laughs> we ended up staying there for, I think, eight or eight years. Eight years. Yeah. So you your childhood was in Iran. Yeah, then. exactly. And so, so what was that like? I was about 14, yeah. 13. But, but what was that like? Because you weren't even planning on being there, on staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, you were not from there. Mm-hmm. You're sort of stateless at this point. How, what so we was were your stateless, status? Yes, yeah. So we did not have a status for yep. a while, um, and because of that, um, when it was time for me to go to school, um, I was homeschooled by my mother, who was a teacher back home as well, and that obviously that helped. Was good. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. She 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 taught me, and she taught a few other uh, Afghan kids um, who were related to us. Um, so that's uh, the first time I went inside a classroom. Um, well, it wasn't my first time because I did. I, I used to go with my aunt and with my mom back in Afghanistan when they were teaching. When they were teaching, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I would go to their classrooms and, you know. But you like, weren't a student. I was an student. You were an observer. I was an observer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But what was it like when you were in Iran, though, for eight years? You can't go to school. So, no, it was only for a couple of years that I was. Oh, because was you, not, you, you came yeah. of age to go Beca- to school. Yeah. Because we still, um, our paperwork weren't, you know, um, you had to have a certain, like a, like a temporary green card you can compare it right, to. Right. And we didn't have that. Right. Um, so then my father started working there and. We rented our own home, and so, so you were able part, to settle in eventually. Yeah, it just yeah, took exactly. a few years. So for the most part, when I think about it, I mean, I still, um, when I, you know, think back to my memories, uh, we were lucky, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. um, a few years ago I went to Lesbos, Greece, um, to help with the refugee crisis. Oh, we're going to talk about that. And yes, and when I used to compare our life back in Iran in those few years 
it's not even comparable to what these people are going through in this moment that you and I yeah. are speaking. Yeah. So hold that thought because like yeah. I said, we're, we're definitely going to talk about that yeah, because definitely. I want to, I want to go yeah. into some detail yeah. about that. But, um, okay. So you, you cross the mountains by mule or donkey. We're not sure which you're going to have to do some research yeah, and figure out exactly. what species it was. I think it was donkey. You think it was donkey. Yeah, you're feeling I think, more, I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> I think mule is not a thing in Afghanistan. Hmm. I have never really heard mule. Yeah. I know there is a Farsi word for it. Yeah. But so maybe we have mules in Iran, but not Afghanistan is what you're saying. Uh, maybe we have them in <laughs> Afghanistan too. <laughs> no, I mean, when, right. I, when I say Farsi, in yeah. Afghans, we speak Farsi too. Yes. Yeah. And Iranians speak Farsi. Yes. Uh, we Which for those who don't know is Persian. It's is what Persian. We, yeah. yeah. It's a fancier word for it's Farsi. A fancier, <laughs> Persian is a fancier word for Farsi. <laughs> Some people think so. Yeah. yeah. So they use Persian. Yeah. From, from when Iran was Persia, <laughs> I guess. Exactly. Right? Yeah like italian being romans <laughs> yeah exactly um okay so so you cross the mountains you have a couple years where things are a little bit rough um in iran because you're you're stateless that sort of thing but then that eventually works itself out yeah it did. and yeah. and you get somewhat integrated but then yeah when you're 14 you head to canada um yes yeah, so think. yes yes that that's when um, it was 19 um not not when i was 14 i was 16 16 okay. when i was 14 we head back to afghanistan oh you because, went back to afghanistan yeah, yeah because oh, by then i missed that part um we yeah we did go back to afghanistan because um uh by that time it was 1994 and it was two years after the collapse of the last um soviet Union elected president, Najibullah. Uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> he was the last uh, quote-unquote communist president um, okay. that was ruling Afghanistan. Um, so once the Mujahideen took over, um, we thought that everything is fine now. Um, we waited a couple of years and um, it was time to go back home and we were just so happy that, you mm. know, now we can actually go and live our lives again. Um, but it turned out you couldn't. It turned out that we could, but that's when um, a new group came along, uh, the Taliban. <laughs> I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of them. I think I think they're pretty infamous. They have right? good PR agents. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, the word has gotten out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's when they came into yeah, the scene. Yeah, so when they, the so scene. so the talk was there that there is this very scary group. And I remember my father um, he passed away, passed away uh, 17, 16 years ago. Um, I remember him, when I remember my father, I remember him always tuning into uh, BBC, Radio BBC, and he, that's where he was getting most of his news from. And there was talk about this group of people who are trying to bring back the Sharia law. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the Islamic law. The Islamic law, yeah. The very strict. Um, the very, very, very Wahhabi strict Islamic law that, um, you know, has not really been in existence um, for a long time. Maybe in Saudi Arabia and some parts of the world it has, but yep. not in Afghanistan. And not even in so Saudi Arabia, it hasn't been that bad, even though they're following the Sharia law. And an example would be. Um, although women could not drive there up to, I think, this year. Until, <laughs> I, well, I think a month ago. Like a couple of very, months very ago. Very, very recently, yeah. yeah. Um, but they do, and they did have the right to attend school and universities and such. Uh, the difference with Taliban was that they were saying that that's even haram. 
and haram, you know, um, not allowed in Islam. That's uh, wait, haram. Haram, yes. Oh, that means not allowed. That means yeah. not allowed. That means um, it's not. Um, I'm sure there is a better translation for it, but for now we'll just go not allowed. Not allowed. <laughs> yeah. In Sharia law, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, it's like non-kosher. That's what I was going to say non-kosher, but non that seems like a weird metaphor. No, it's not this, yeah. actually. Yeah, okay. It's very non-kosher. Yeah, like okay. you don't do that. Right. Um, and one was women. Uh, women and girls um, could not attend school. Um, they could not work outside of their homes. Um, at all times they had to, if they even went to, you know, the store to get a piece of bread, they had to be accompanied by a male relative uh, who was either a brother, a husband, or a father, right. or, the, or son. Right. Um, so. Time to leave again. Yeah, so we heard about those things, and it just seemed like a joke. It seemed like, no, this is impossible. Because and this was only in parts of Afghanistan at this point. It was only in parts point. of Afghanistan, right. yeah. Right. Yeah, very, and, you know, everybody said, no, this is a joke. This is going to end. How could they, like, this group didn't even exist. Right. They don't even have the mean or the power or it's the manpower. It's not a real threat, exactly, ultimately. absolutely. So that's why we went back. But it did become a real threat. Um, it became uh, it became a nightmare, um, and then we had to flee again. And so then you we went to Pakistan. <laughs> then you went to Pakistan. <laughs> yeah. But then you ended up in Canada, and then you ended up in the United States. Yes. Yes. And can you tell me a little bit about how you ended up in the United States? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I was in Canada, and um, I met my current husband. Um, he was living here in the Bay Area. Oh, but you met him up there. But I met him up there. Very lucky. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he said, wait a second, and you're I, and coming back with me. And I met him in the me. most unconventional way, I think. Can you tell us? <laughs> of course. Okay. Uh, this used to be a secret for the longest time. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. I tell people, you know, we made up so many stories, like we met at a party, we met at an event. Right. Uh, sometimes more we even banal. made it like a religious event just oh. to make it more like so yeah, respectable very very kosher right 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 but the reality is <laughs> totally met, different we met, we met at the it was i think it's called the aol era like aol, AOL chat lines yeah, yeah. Oh, so you met online? I've met online. Oh. <laughs> that was a very long-winded way of saying we met online. I know, exactly. Which, but isn't that funny? Because it is so true. I mean, kids today, those youngsters, to them, the idea that there's any sort of shame or any reason to hide that you and me, I mean, because that's just yeah, like how, how you do it. Yeah, like how could you even meet somebody online? Right? Well, how could like you meet someone any, some other way? life now, Today, right? how yeah. can you meet someone any other way? Yeah, right, that's like just how it's done. But it's so true. I mean... Back whenever, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. I don't know how long. I've not been even. married for almost 16 years. Okay. So so back then <laughs> and even even more recently than that, though, there was still this hesitation to admit that you you met someone online. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's so just, funny. Yeah, I it mean, wasn't cool enough. Like, yeah. Really? Well, but there was also something like unrespectable about it, it right? Yes, that's yeah. why you just said uh, that no, you, you, you would say we met at a religious function, right? <laughs> yeah. Because that's so much more respectable. It, absolutely. Um, yeah. We have come a long way in yeah, the online yeah, world and the online dating world. Oh, so, we have, yes. <laughs> uh, so oh, there was something else I was going to ask about that. So you guys met online. You came to the States. So... My question is, and maybe this is really more for 
you know, when you first arrived in Canada. Yeah. But I'm going to go on a quick tangent here that's, that is nonetheless directly related yeah. to this. I keep getting Lyft drivers mm. who are from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And I, when I say I keep getting Lyft drivers, I mean six or seven or eight of my last drivers, and I don't even take Lyft that often, yeah. have been from Afghanistan. Yeah. And they're always surprised when I can, I can say, you know, oh, I can recognize Afghan. from the yeah. names. And, then, and most of them have worked for the U.S. military. Yes. And yes. then they end up here, often, yeah. most often as translators, and mm-hmm. then they end up here. Mm-hmm. The guy that was my last Lyft driver mm-hmm. from Afghanistan, and this is why I bring this up in the context of this conversation. Well, first of all, he got shot twice, mm. so that's why he was able to come here. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that he had to get shot twice for, for to actually yeah, get exactly, here, but yeah. they were like, all right, you don't, a third time, we don't have to subject you to, to a third time. But, but what he said was he was really surprised when he got here, and this mm. is what I was curious about, your initial impressions when you got to Canada coming from mm. Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran. Uh, because he thought, you know, America is the United States is spending all this money in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So he was thinking that when he got here, not quite that the streets would be paved with gold, but that at least they wouldn't have potholes. Yeah. And this, of course, is coming yeah. from a Lyft driver. Yeah. And so he was saying that he was just so shocked because he's driving around. He's like, our infrastructure needs a lot of work. Yeah. And it wasn't a criticism. He was just surprised because he literally thought if we have the funds to spend that much money on the other side of the world yeah. that we must be in really good shape here. Yeah. And then the other thing was, um, what was that? What was the <laughs> second thing? Oh yeah. I had to cheat and use my notes here. He was surprised to see homeless people for the same reason. Mm, yeah. He thought, well, again, of course, if it's this, this, this wealthy nation that's got so much money that they can, you know, get involved in our affairs, uh, then of course there aren't going to be homeless people because mm. again, they've got so much money. So he was really surprised about that. The last thing I'll say, and then I want to hear if there were any big surprises mm. along those lines uh, that you experienced when you arrived in Canada is, uh, he, he has, you know, friends or colleagues that he'll speak with back in Afghanistan from here. Mm. He's, he's here and they're there. And he was telling me about how one of them had asked, you know, well, do you still carry your AK 47 out mm. when you're just going out? Because where he came from, yeah, his friends in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. because where he came from in Afghanistan, he was also, people were looking for him, Mm -hmm. much like what you were Mm -hmm. describing with your father. Mm -hmm. And he was in very real danger. Like I said, he'd been shot twice. Mm -hmm. He was in Mm -hmm. very real danger because the Taliban and ISIS and whatever those other organizations are, because I think there are quite a few now, um, you know, he was, he was targeted because he's working for the States. He's Mm -hmm. working for the West. So you know, he had to explain to his friend, no, I don't have to walk around here in the States with an Mm -hmm. AK-47. It's actually safe. So I just thought um, all of that all, and all of my conversations, I, I love taking Lyft now. This is almost a, an advertisement <laughs> for Lyft. I love taking Lyft. I've had so many fascinating, yeah. touching conversations, yes, you know, yes, with, yes. These, with, these, with these fellows. So all that to say, like I said, coming back around, you're coming from such a different place. You arrive in Canada where anything like that that really stands out as some of your first impressions, sort of cultural shock, cultural surprise related. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I when I went to Canada, I went in December of 1996. I was 16, and I went to Toronto, and it was freezing cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw snow there because in Afghanistan, at least back then, we used to have four seasons, and right. in Iran as well. Uh, but it was just freezing. Uh huh. Um, um, it, the cultural shock was big. Yeah. Of course. It Anything was that jumps out. So you're in the airport and you leave the airport. Anything and that you jumps out to me. One is the smell of coffee. 
Interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Why is Honestly, that a surprise? Honestly, like I still want to smell coffee the way I did when I first went to Canada. But you had coffee in we, Afghanistan. We did. We did. We did have coffee. But in Canada, I mean, every corner there was a coffee shop. There was a Tim Hortons or they, that's the a Canadian. <laughs> I know. It's a Canadian thing that was owned by Wendy's or they merged I, with I Wendy's. Them, and though. it's They're a huge... So good. I still like when I go and visit my sisters in yeah. Canada, I make sure to go to Tim Hortons as many times as I possibly can. Well, that's that, I mean, I just read an article on this. I mean, it's maybe been six months, but Tim Hortons apparently has some sort of cult following in Canada. And whenever I've kind of driven Maybe I'm by, I'm one of the people in that cult because I love them. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> and I, I worked mean, there too for a little. Oh, while. you worked there. You worked there. Okay, well that's different. You've I got an employee discount or whatever. I had my, yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> I love that you worked at Tim Hortons. All How right, did we get to this. I don't know, <laughs> like but that's coffee. a whole other conversation. That's all, yeah, yeah, it was, it was coffee. It was, it that's was right. the smell of coffee. I mean, uh, just everywhere I went, I smelled coffee like it was suffocating, and I did not like the way you know. I felt around coffee. Oh, you didn't like long. it? No. Okay, it was a bad thing. It was right, a bad thing. All right, for thing. a second I thought you were saying that this was like no. a, a pleasant association No, it you was had. not. No, yeah. it, it was, was like assault. very foreign. It yeah. was exactly. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Right, right. enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm addicted to coffee. Okay, but not Tim Hortons. <laughs> we don't have Tim Hortons. I mean, so. I love Tim Hortons, yeah. Although I guess you could mail order it. I make my own French press. You yeah. make your own French press. Sometimes You've it's graduated. the Tim Hortons coffee that I bring it here. <laughs> Does Tim Hortons even work in a French press? Not really. It seems, no, yeah, it seems same. sort of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tim Hortons, French, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so I'm, we could talk a lot more about that, but let's let's kind of jump ahead to because mm. one thing I'm curious is, and this this is somewhat related. Well, first, it's just because of my curiosity, because as you know, and as as my listeners and viewers know. If I have any viewers after after today's video fiasco, so we're not again. totally live now. No, we're totally live, but on Facebook <laughs> it looks like we're robots. Oh, okay. it's doing That's this. Fun. I like that. I don't. No. I hate it because I spent all week making sure that didn't happen, oh. and every single test run I did was perfectly fine. But anyway, we're not going to go there. I already went on my little diatribe at the beginning of the show, and I apologize profusely. It's just it's absolutely bizarre. And here I am. I can see myself now pretending to be a robot on the screen. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what I was going to say is, um, you know, I was just, I was just on the border of Afghanistan mm -hmm. for six days. I've seen your I was on the Tajik side. The pictures are stunning or the place yeah. is stunning. Yeah. I loved it. And, um, between having just been there now, first of all, before I even went to central Asia, I was thinking that I probably wouldn't go down there because mm -hmm. I didn't know. And mm -hmm. I'm someone who has traveled quite a lot and yet. I wasn't sure that it was safe, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm still beholden to what, I, what I'm seeing oh, in the yeah, news yeah, and absolutely. that sort of thing. So I, even when I did my original map that I shared with family and friends mm -hmm. of my route, I changed it so that it didn't look as if I was going to be on the border of Afghanistan for six days mm -hmm. because I didn't want people to know. And I wasn't sure I was going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. But then I, I get there and you talk to people in the place and then you learn, oh, this is actually that part of Afghanistan mm -hmm. is completely safe. Mm -hmm. You don't want to miss the Wakhan Valley. It's yeah. it's the thing that you it should is. see if you're yes. even going to be in that neighborhood. And mm -hmm. it ended up being the most the most stunning part of my trip. No if, ifs, ands, or buts. And yeah. so thank God I went. But it really demystified for me yeah. Afghanistan. And that's not to say it demystified it in the sense that I know that there are still very, very real threats. The Taliban is still active. Okay. There are still... Yes. Suicide bomb. There's still a lot of really bad, dangerous stuff yeah. going on. But, um, but so 
all of that to say that I'm just really curious about Afghanistan and, and about that region. And like I said, I've really been enjoying my conversations mm -hmm. in Lyft. And I've just been taking Lyfts <laughs> just to have the conversations. But I'm curious, given all that, mm -hmm. what is it like for you insofar as you can sort of paraphrase or, or, or even speak to what is it like for you to be an Afghani-American? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, are you constantly sort of educating people are you constantly do, do most people even because we only see negative stuff about afghanistan yeah. so when you tell someone that you're afghani i'm just curious what sort of reactions what sort of again education yeah. you might how what, what's that experience like no, sort absolutely. of day to day yeah and that's a good question and i think it really depends on the people like who is in front of me sure and if i tell people well i'm afghan then they say if they know about the country and uh, the, th the thing is that prior to 2001 um, prior to when the whole invasion of Afghanistan happened by the US people w some people thought Afghanistan was in Africa like they wouldn't <laughs> even think that it's in oh Asia or Southeast yeah. Asia Ugh, um, that hurts how do you react to that I guess just with understanding really, like you just say yeah <laughs> It's like you just say yeah. Like you say yeah. Africa. It's in the south. Like, it's in the yeah, south of Africa. You just want them to right. live in their bubble, right? right. Like, right. why would you want to burst somebody's bubble? Well, didn't Afghanistan? Isn't that where <laughs> Mandela? Wasn't he in South in Africa? Sa in in yeah. Afghanistan, I mean. Yeah. He was yeah. in Afghanistan. He yes. Yeah. Only if he had. A we Mandela, are the world. We wasn't we are the world for Afghanistan? Wasn't that a song to, to stop apartheid in Afghanistan? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I just think if Afghanistan had a Mandela how life would have been so different for us now. Well, that's right. a whole other, yeah. That's another topic. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have we'll to wax poetic about yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but not the last. It really <laughs> depends. Um, so now people know where Afghanistan is because a lot of people have uh, relatives who are in the army the military. or military and mm -hmm. they have gone there, right? Um, so now it's not really a matter of where is Afghanistan. Sometimes they ask me which part of Afghanistan you're oh. from. And, you know, when I tell them, they exactly know uh, where it is. Interesting. Like, oh, so you've seen a real evolution in yeah, people's awareness. A lot of education. Interesting. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. That being said, though, um, as an Afghan woman, sometimes I get like the raised eyebrow, like, oh, really? You're Afghan? You're from Afghanistan? Um, I think it's this um, stereotype of Afghan woman that some of the people still carry with them that, you know, they are oppressed or... Uh, they for sure are wearing a hijab or covering their head and their faces. Um, and that's not the case, right? Right. And so, but you that's get that. a lot of the education comes yeah. where I'm like, no. Um, but you get that reaction even though they're looking at you seeing that that's obviously not yeah, exactly. the case. They just think that they I'm like. They still make that association. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. And then they usually, I do get asked like why, you know, well, you don't look Afghan. And I'm like, no, I look actually very Afghan. Right, uh, right. <laughs> if you have <laughs> seen an Afghan much. woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the way, uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, even though, especially during the Taliban and the Mujahideen and all these years, life has been really hard for Afghans and especially Afghan women. We have so many strong and, uh, you know, just fighter women that um, are go-getters and whether they wear a hijab or not, because also the whole hijab thing is another, you know, some women, they do wear a hijab, they cover up 
and people just look at them and they think they're oppressed just because they're wearing a hijab or they don't have rights or they don't know what their rights are. And that's sometimes quite the opposite. I'm it not saying it's all, yeah, exactly. It's more complicated than that. And, and probably very case by case. Exactly, case by case. And some women, they, they choose to wear a hijab as I choose not to wear a hijab. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think with being an Afghan, it's a lot of stereotyping yep. um, that goes on. But the thing is that even when I go back to Afghanistan and I was there in 2000. Well, that was my next question 12, if you had been back. Yeah. 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 So last time I was there was, to, it was there was 2012. And there too, um, you know, I don't really fit in completely because, uh, also, you know, I, when I go there, I do wear the hijab. I oh, do. you do? Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. Because if I'm going on the streets, you know, I want to blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so everyone there does wear the hijab. Y- I yeah. mean, all the women. Although, yeah. although it's yeah. not mandatory, but yes, um, even foreigners they choose to cover up a little bit mm-hmm. just so they can blend in more. Yeah. Um, and as an Afghan, of course, that's a part of my culture, and I respect it with all my heart. So when I'm there, um, I don't want to say that I'm different than you. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. Um, but I think, um, and this is not just my story, this the story of many immigrants who have lived in so many different places that you feel belong to everywhere, but you're never exactly 100% from anywhere, mm-hmm. right? You're mm-hmm. n- I'm never 100% Afghan, nor I can ever be 100% American. Yep, yep. So, yeah. So when you went back in 2012, how long had it been since you'd been there? Um, since you'd been there? Well, 2010. 2010? So it had been two years. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to 2010. How long had it been before 2010? Um, so I think, um, I think um, I better say the first time I actually went was 2005. Okay. And that's, I guess, what I'm really curious yeah, about. How yeah, was that? It's 2005. Yeah. Um, it was just very, very emotional for me. I actually went with my son. He was four or five months old. Oh, wow. Yeah, he has a baby. Wow. Um, so I went with him. That's a long trip to make with a four or five month Absolutely old. Absolutely it is. Yeah, it was well worth it. You just gave him lots of sleeping tablets and just had yeah, him exactly, yeah, knocked yeah. out for the whole yeah, trip and no issue. Whole, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I had, you know, I was breastfeeding him, so that helped too. <laughs> that helped. I'm sure that helped. He had two of those. Yeah. <laughs> he was fine. He exactly. could not have been happier. He didn't know he was on a plane, not no. on a plane, whatever. Yeah. He what cries, country he was there in. There you go. Yeah. Life was good at that point. Life was really good. Uh, so, yeah, that's when I went, and it was very emotional. It was very emotional for me because, um, you know, I, the last time I was there, I was a teenager, and now I was a woman, I was a mother. And just I remember uh, when the plane um, sat on the airport. The uh, tarmac. On the the, uh, tarmac, exactly. Thank you for that (laughs) word. (laughs) That's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, I was crying because you know it was it was my it was my land. It's my motherland. Of sort. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's always a part of me. Yep. Um, So it was it was a very emotional. But happy time. I got to see many people. And, and do you still have family there, presumably? I do, yes. Yep. I have yep. a couple of aunts and some cousins. And on more recent trips, have you taken your son and daughter? No. No. No, I have been. not. Okay. Um, and the reason I just, I wanted to. Um, I really did. Um, 
I just thought it would be selfish of me to do that. Because it's not safe? Because it's not safe because I know what is going on there. And I'm not saying it's dangerous. Many people do take their kids. Um, my husband and I, we just chose not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, do I want for them to go? Yes. My dream is, um, you know, t- to... I, I have friends who are from India or from Iran and sometimes each summer they go back home um, with their kids. Um, I can't do that yep. because Afghanistan, you know, is... There's a lot going on. A lot is going on there, yeah. Is your husband Afghan as well? Yes, he yes. is. Okay. Yeah. And same cultural group, so you both, um, he speaks Farsi as well? or Because speaks, there are two yeah, languages. Yeah, it's pa- Dash- Pashto. Pashto. Pashto yeah. and Farsi. Yeah. Uh, he, yes, he's from Kabul and from Herat, so he's... Are those like capital boy? <laughs> yeah, from the okay. capital is there city. a rivalry between the two? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but he does speak Farsi as well. Our Farsi is very different accents, though. Mm. Um, so if you hear somebody from Kabul who speaks Farsi versus somebody from Herat, you, you know. can tell the difference. It's yeah. very, yeah. And yeah. my kids have the funniest Farsi accent because it's a mix of their both mix of their of parents both and also English accents. <laughs> Excuse so me. Yes, yeah. it's, um, and so do you guys speak Farsi at home? Yes. Yeah. We speak Farsi. We teach our kids um, to how to read uh, and write Farsi. Um, the language and the culture is very important to us. Yeah. Um, so, for example, to give you um, an example, in, uh, we s- I celebrate Christmas and I, have, I do that intentionally. Um, by Christmas, I mean I celebrate the festive time of the year. Right. Um, so I do put a Christmas tree and we do put gifts under the tree for them, but we also uh, celebrate Shabbat uh, Yaldah, which is the first night of the winter. It's the longest night of the year. Um, it's called the winter... Um, is that the equinox? Is that the winter is? equinox, yes. Or solstice? solstice? Solstice. The winter solstice. Yeah. Yes, yes, yep. yes. <laughs> and that is a very, very traditional Afghan, Iranian, Tajikistan, Tajiki or Tajikistan. So those people are, I think, one of the few ones and Kurds who are celebrating that night. Um, and it happens to be when Christmas is. How, how perfect. Yes. Two birds with one stone. Exactly. So yeah. I have a Christmas tree. We have the gifts under the tree. And then we have a whole Yelda, Shabi Yelda, or the uh, the winter uh, setting in our living room. And they're ce- celebrating both of those days together. Sounds like your your house is the place to be um, uh, around that time, that time yes. of the year. I yeah. will invite you this year. Okay, please yeah. do. I'll be there. I will definitely do that. Okay, Yeah, I do good. have a lot of people. You do? Uh, yes, you have yeah, a yeah. big celebration? I, I, yeah, it's usually something that, you know, it's All right. something is happening at my if house. I'm, <laughs> if I'm here, I'm there. <laughs> yes, Okay. definitely. So one last question about sort of the current or uh, today in Afghanistan, and then mm-hmm. I want to move on to some of the other s- stuff that you do. Sure. Um, but I just... You know, you said that you still have family there and you've been a couple of years ago you were there because one of the questions I had was how difficult it is to actually have a sense for what's going on there if you're not there in person. And so but if you still have a lot of people there, I'm guessing that you get a sense because, of course, you, you have the news and I'm sure that, you know, um, better news outlets for what's going on there than, mm-hmm. than I or most you know Americans might who aren't aren't from there. But still, it seems, you know, again, I was talking with the Lyft driver and he was talking about how difficult it is to actually know what's going on here. And again, Mm -hmm. he had worked with the military, Mm -hmm. so he really knew what was Mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Um, So I guess. um, Do you do 
what sort of and I know this is this could be an entire conversation of itself, but just really sort of in brief, um, what is your sense of the current situation? Because I know that again in um, what was the date in August? So less what's today? So less than a month ago, there was a suicide blast in Kabul, mm-hmm. um, in a mainly Shiite area of Kabul. There uh, two days earlier there was another one, another thing in Ghazni. Yeah. There were a couple hundred people who mm-hmm. were actually. Um, killed by that was islamic i can't remember that was islamic state i think not taliban oh no that was taliban taliban insurgents launched sustained attacks on four different fronts hardest hit Mm -hmm. area was southeastern city of ghazni so um any sense there just again and and the other thing is i i presume that it's changing so much that it's probably even maybe maybe there's no point in even summarizing but just what's your overall sense to the t- to the extent that you can't even speak to that of because oh. things are obviously still very bad. Things are really bad, and they're getting. It seems like they're getting worse. And right now, it seems like there is a whole ethnic cleansing that is going on in Afghanistan, because many of the recent attacks has only been in um, places uh, who are mainly um, places where mainly Shias or Hazaras are living. Mm-hmm. So and um, so. Uh, it's it's basically you know when you're trying to get rid of a group of people or uh, a um, a group of ethnics within a country it's basically called a genocide right, right. so a genocide right. is going on right now in Afghanistan and it seems like the world is really um, turning a blind eye turning a very blind eye to it um, and obviously when there is our neighboring countries are not helpful either especially pakistan um like one of the last attacks that was in ghazni um, many of the um, taliban um, uh, men um, if they were wounded they were taken to pakistan um, to get aid and and to to support and Uh, to get support so pakistan is actively at least parts of pakistan or certain groups in pakistan are actively supporting the taliban yes and also then there is the Saudi Arabia who are supporting the ISIS, <laughs> right? Um, and so uh, the future just seems so depressing. Yeah, And um, Although I'm not there, I have many, many, many Facebook friends uh, who are inside Afghanistan. And, um, you know, whenever I open my Facebook, um, I honestly, it's rarely that I hear anything happy yep. except those times that you know we have sport events and women are really shining <laughs> you know both outside and inside of afghanistan um, those are some of the positive news that we get on our news feed but the rest is all about death and killing yep and yeah yep well let's talk about what we can do because you obviously can't be on the ground right now in Afghanistan somehow changing the political, social situation. sadly not. But happily, you can do a lot here, and you do do a lot here. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that you do is you you find ways to help people who have gotten out. And Mm -hmm. it's not just people who have gotten out of Afghanistan, but it's it's refugees who have uh, gotten out of lots of different situations, Mm -hmm. because sadly, of course, right now, we have so many crises throughout the world. And you mentioned... Not long ago in our conversation, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that you had been to Greece, mm-hmm. and that was fairly recent. And mm-hmm. it's, it's 
funny because I already had one guest. You're actually my second guest, sorry, uh, <laughs> to go to Greece to work with the refugees. I had Kathy Miller on, and she volunteered yes. with Refugee Support Europe yeah. at one of their camps yeah. in, in Greece. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, when you went, why you went, and specifically what you did? I believe there was some fundraising yeah. involved before yeah, yeah. you went. No, of course. Yeah, so this happened in 2015, end of 2015. And this was when the surge of refugees was just uh, really vast and great. And a lot of people were coming um, from Turkey um, by through agency to Greece. Yep. Um, and uh, a lot of them were Arabs from Syrian, Syrian mm -hmm. Arabs and Iraqis and uh, many Afghans as well. Um, the reason I decided to go was at that time... Um, First, they needed Farsi, they needed people who can help with translation. Sure. Um, so I had that. <laughs> yep. And I, because of that, I decided to go. Um, and who was they? Did you go with a particular organization? No. Or? So at that time, they really, when I say they, I mean the Greek officials okay. um, mm. in, in Greece. And yep. I went to Lesbos. That's the island that is closest to the agency um on the, the other AGMC? part of i think yeah, exactly yep. um i think um on the other side i think is izmir i'm not sure which city in turkey that yeah, is yeah that would be izmir yeah. yeah um so when i say they i mean the greeks were the greek welcoming authorities. the greek authorities were welcoming any anyone could that help. could actually help and right. you didn't even have to speak the language yep um so that's when i decided to go um it was independent, um, and I went with a friend. I talked with a friend, and she um, agreed to go with me, so we we went. And prior to going, then we had a um, we had a fundraising uh, for the refugees, and so we went with some cash and with our language abilities. She actually speaks Pashto, which okay. was very So you helpful. had both languages covered? Yes, we did. <laughs> both Afghani uh, languages covered? Exactly. So is it Afghan or Afghani? I it's Afghan. It's Afghan, isn't yes, it? So what's Afghani? Is that a Afghani, person? No, Afghani is, is actually the um, currency. I think the correct, oh. <laughs> the correct term for currency is Afghani, but you're not the only one. Even a lot of Afghans, they say Afghani when it's In English, Afghan. when they're speaking English. When mean? they're speaking English or Farsi. They oh, just say they Afghani. even make that same sort of yeah, yeah, it's, mistake. Yeah, okay. it's just... It yeah. must be my... My Farsi that's that's getting in the way. Yeah, could be. <laughs> okay, so you raised money. You went. How long did you go for? We were there for almost two, maybe two and a half weeks. And how was the experience of being there? The experience was very traumatic. Um, it was traumatic because um, so you asked me what we did there. We did everything from going on the shores and receiving the refugees. They so were actually coming, meeting them as they're coming out them, of the water. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Meeting them as they were coming out. Um, taking the babies. The babies were just, you know, the people mm -hmm. were kind of passing them. We had a chain of people and we were passing the babies and the little Excuse kids um, to each other. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we had dry clothes for them and we had food and water because they usually came very hungry. Sure. And uh, dehydrated. And, and dehydrated and hypothermia. Um, on one occasion, I... I had to sit in an ambulance and we went to the hospital because a, a young man, maybe like 17, 18, he had really bad, uh, he's almost dying. Yeah. So then I also saw, you know, so there you see the two sides of uh, human beings, right? You see uh, these these innocent people are escaping the countries, the, the comfort of their homes because a few... 
uh, warmongers have created these wars and are killing them, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you see people. I was there only really for two weeks. I feel like I didn't do much. I remember a Greek, many Greek people actually, they wore, they quit their jobs, they quit their living, they lived in the island just to help these refugees. Really? In particular, there was this man who uh, was a really good swimmer, and he said many of the refugees actually used to die when they got to the shore because the water they, they was couldn't still... couldn't swim. Exactly, they couldn't swim. So he was there, and that was his job. Every morning at 3 in the morning, he went to the shores, and he was in the water picking up little kids and elders and all And you that. said 3 a.m. because much like when you left, people are coming in the under cover yeah, of darkness. people are coming in the darkness. Yep. So at 3 a.m., we started receiving them, and then it went on until like maybe mid-morning, and then it stopped. Yep. It was very rare that you would get a boat or a, a raft. In the middle like of the day. In the middle of the day, yeah, yep. exactly. So then you saw these people who have left everything to be there and to help. So you see the two side of what a human being can do, right? Right, right. What man can do right? Um, with our brain and with our life and yep. with our power. That is so intense. Thank you for doing that. Well, it wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I had the opportunity and the means to do it. Well, not to, but you did make the opportunity. So I appreciate your humility, but you made that opportunity, yeah. right? Well, thank and you. so, yeah. Yeah. so thank you um, on behalf of all those people that you helped, oh. because if more of us were doing things like that, then hopefully the tide would turn in the favor of the, this more positive side of humanity, right? Yeah. That, that, that you're Wouldn't talking that about. Nice? Yeah. yeah. So something you just said that, of course, is not surprising is that, you know, your experience there was was traumatic. Mm -hmm. And the other uh, thing or one of the other main one of your other main focuses is the work that you do with a partnership for what is it here? Partnership for Trauma Recovery or PTR. Yeah. yeah. So uh, can you tell me who Partnership for Trauma Recovery is and yeah. how you got involved? And I believe you sit on their board. But what 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 do they do specifically? So it's a nonprofit based in Berkeley um, and what they do is that they provide uh, mental health services to refugees uh, and in particular to those refugees who were tortured uh, in their home countries and these uh, services are ongoing and um, they have seen or we have seen firsthand impact on the lives of these refugees and and you have seen firsthand impact of the work that you the organization exactly, has done yeah, and how yeah, it's yeah, helped absolutely. them to work through to their trauma trauma because um, and we have different ones like we have a lot of refugees from Africa uh, we have some refugees from Afghanistan we also have refugees from uh, Central and South America may I read the list because the list is impressive so yes, on there, because yes. I, I looked at their website mm -hmm. and it said, and this is on the donate section of the website. Mm -hmm. So anyone who uh, wants to donate to this cause, this is a super worthy cause, obviously. But on the uh, on their donate page, they say in PTR's first year, because I guess they just got started fairly recently. Yes, it is a recent organization. You, the, the donors, uh, helped 170 international survivors from 29 countries heal mm -hmm. from their trauma. With your contribution, PTR's clinical team of 14 provided skilled, globally, culturally aware psychosocial care for women, men, and children from Afghanistan, Cameroon, Democratic Republic of Congo, El Salvador, Eritrea, Guatemala, Honduras, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Mexico, 
Syria, Uganda, Yemen, mm. and more. Yeah. You helped train a team of clinical interns with the capacity to collectively serve over 3,500 more survivors over the course of their careers. And um, their site, if you do want to donate, which of course you do because this is a super worthy, like I said, I don't know why I keep saying super, but it's <laughs> a very worthy cause, is traumapartners.org. Um, so really covering a lot of ground. And I, I mean, yeah. I just, I can't imagine what sort of help these people need after going through torture. I mean, yes. that's got to be just the ultimate PTSD. It is. The, it ultimate. Is the ultimate PTSD, exactly. Yeah. 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 And PTSD, I mean, anyone that comes from a war-torn country, they have PTSD. Right, even if they haven't been tortured. Exactly, even right. if they haven't been, yes. I have a really good example of that that I have to Go share, that I, that I love this <laughs> example. Not, not my own personal example, yeah. obviously. But I have a Lebanese friend who mm -hmm. grew up during the Civil War. Yeah. And every night there were bombings. Mm -hmm. And so when he came here, initially when there weren't bombings, he had trouble sleeping. Mm. Because, so I don't know if that's actually PTSD, but it's some sort of variant of it, it is, where yeah. he's, he became so used to being, I guess, in that trauma, that trauma state that, that he yeah. couldn't disconnect yes. from that. Or when he did. That is, that then, is trauma. That is PTSD right, actually. Right, right. Yeah. And it's kind of a cute, anecdote yeah but it speaks to to how deep how deep that that Abs kind of thing can absolutely. run and again he wasn't even tortured i yeah. mean um i can't even imagine so uh but you sit on their advisory board yes you said yes. and so what does that entail um well uh, it basically um i was i was i was a board member um earlier and then i just uh, became a little bit too um with you know especially with school um, so With your two the, jobs, <laughs> your school, yeah, your two kind, children, yeah, kind of, your yeah. husband, <laughs> your poetry. Uh, you got a little busy? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so on the advisory board, I'm... I think you should <laughs> just work harder. <laughs> Clearly, she just needs to work harder. It's fine. You can slack once in a while. Uh, so you decided to you. just be an advisor and yeah, serve on the yeah, board. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I don't have to attend all the meetings and, you know. Mm, but then I nice. can also talk Other people about are attending them the meetings. and be a part of it, yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> She doesn't want to attend uh, meetings. She wants to help, but she just <laughs> she can't be bothered to be at the meetings. Okay, so as part of so let's let's changing gears. Speaking sure. to your schooling and speaking to the big change that you're making in your life right now, is part of your work with Partnership for Trauma Recovery. Is that related to your decision to go into psychology? And how did you make that decision? Because sure. that's not what you were did doing before. No, no, I was not. So. I went to business school. I studied management information systems. and uh, Great. Yeah. Lots of jobs for that around <laughs> a lot, here. A lot, a yeah. lot. Silicon Valley and that, you know, hand, go hand in hand. Um, and I uh, was working in, in corporate America for the past, I would say, 10 years uh, doing marketing management and project yes. management. And Love it. All the fun things. I've done I that. I enjoy that. I know how great that is. There you go. From pers my own firsthand experience. Nine to five, you know, not really. <laughs> um, so a few years ago, I knew that I wanted to do um, something a little bit different and change gears. And so I was torn in between law school <laughs> and, um, and, you know, to become a therapist, mm -hmm. psychologist. Yep. Um, and so I chose the latter because I feel like I have experienced life from so many different dimensions that, um, you know, uh, I would make a good therapist. You I have would, a lot of I life experience to draw exactly. on to help these people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Um, so that's what 
I did. I got into Santa Clara University, and that's what I've been studying. I kept my job. I kept on working. I went you back went to and forth, meetings, like full time and part time. There you go. I did that too. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> did nonetheless cut some corners. <laughs> there you go. Let's I be did honest. Actually, at yeah. the end, I just was like. <laughs> I can't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, but <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and I'm still. I still have so much sand from Burning Man, and my. That's why I keep clearing my throat. So sorry, people who are listening. But, but in all seriousness, you know, you you were in tech, you were in healthcare, making very good money. Mm. So how do you make the jump? Because that's something that always fascinates me. How do you make the jump from something that is ostensibly secure? You've got a, a healthy paycheck coming in. Mm -hmm. But then there's something in I your miss. soul. Yeah, you and me both. You <laughs> and me both. Paycheck. Yes, I really miss the healthy paycheck. Um, and yet, and yet, there was something inside you saying, "I want to follow my passion. Exactly. I want to do it something was, that has yeah. more meaning, at least for Absolutely. me, as much as supporting the healthcare industry, which is just struggling in this country, of course, <laughs> uh, is is spiritually fulfilling." But but how do you make that jump? Um, that is a very good question. I just knew that what I'm doing day in, day out is not my calling. Um, yes, the paycheck was very healthy and a very happy one. Um, and you know, <laughs> a happy paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. It would be a lie if I said I don't miss it. Right. And I only change and I only uh, quit my last official job in marketing um, in May. Okay, so that's very recent. And I made the switch in May, yeah, and I can still... I, <laughs> <laughs> it still hurts. still hurts. It still yeah. hurts. And I, I have seen the difference. Yeah. Um, but I am so much happier um, because I get to... I feel like I get to make a difference. Even if I don't see the results firsthand, um, I get to impact somebody's life although you probably will see the results firsthand when you actually get into to to, to, to having patience right having I mean, patience yeah right. i'm starting i've just started as a clinical intern with the city of fremont and there i'll get to see patients okay so this will be the first time you're seeing It'll patients be my first time seeing uh, patients all right don't mess it up <laughs> don't mess it up these I people's lives are in so your hands nervous really <laughs> well it is a lot of responsibility i told my supervisor i actually have my first patient this wednesday okay and i said do you think I can do this? She's like, yes, you can. Okay. Go into that room and I'm there. I'm like listening. <laughs> I, I will help you. You'll yeah. be okay. But you, you'll, so you'll be doing the actual I'll be session, doing the actual but therapy. she's right there shadowing you in case yes, you yes, yes. lead the person astray. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we have to, uh, we have to film some of our sessions um, and then we have group meetings and then I have individual meetings with her and then we will talk about each case in details. Okay. So best of luck. I, thank you very okay. much. <laughs> um, all right. So we're, we're already over time, but I have to know there, there's one more thing we have to talk about. So where does the poetry fit in to all of this? So again, I was joking at the beginning, but it's only half joke. It's actually more serious than a joke. I mean, given all you've got going on, yeah. I'm a writer. I know how much time it takes, how difficult it is to find the time in this space. I don't have two kids. I don't have two jobs. I don't have this new career. How do you find the time to write the poetry, which again, as I mentioned, the beginning of the show is on her Instagram page, and I'll shout that out again at the end of, of today's show. How do you find the time and the space to continue to continue writing, and why is it so important to you? Because obviously it's very important given or otherwise given everything you've got going on you wouldn't be doing it yeah. so can you speak to well, all I, that a I little used bit to, i have been writing since i was seven 
Okay. So writing has always been um, my hobby. Um, I remember when some of my classmates and other friends were playing with dolls and, you know, I would sit and I would write. I was a very weird child. Uh -huh. A very strange <laughs> very child. Strange. You would have Barbie doing literary readings. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh -huh. If uh -huh. I had a Barbie. Right. If you had had a Barbie, she would have been <laughs> hosting literary events. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so writing has always been a part of who I am. Um, without it, I can't function. So when I'm mad, I write. When I'm sad, I write. When I'm happy, I write. Is that how you sort of um, maintain your relationship with your husband and kids? I you just write them. <laughs> I just write if them. If you're mad, exactly. you write them a poem. There if you you're go. happy, yeah, you write them a friends, poem. Everyone, yeah, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of feeding people, I just write. Yeah, because I, I, got, them poems. I got a lot of interesting <laughs> poems in the lead up to this show, and I thought, this is a curious way of, of communicating. But, but so, yeah, so you've always done it. Yeah, I've always done it. Yeah. Well, I have to say that um, another interesting fact that I got from Wikipedia might explain part of why you've always done it because you said you're from Herat originally. Yeah. And I loved this. I didn't, uh, this was really cool. Quote, and this again from Wikipedia Classic Persian and Pashto poetry are a cherished part of Afghan culture. Yes. Thursdays are traditionally poetry night in the city of Herat, yes. where men, women, and children gather and recite both ancient and modern poems. So basically it sounds as if Herat has a, like a sort of a lit quake yes, uh, every Thursday. We are famous like for that. We really? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone yes. in Afghan Afghanistan knows that that's <laughs> and it actually happens on Thursdays. People still um, do this. Well, people do it, and the Thursdays because Fridays are our weekend there, and Thursdays is when family gather together, and Thursday nights. Oh, because they have Friday off. You because mean. they have Friday yeah. off. Yes. Okay. Um, so yes, and those gatherings, you always hear people read poetry. Really? Yes. Even today. Even today. That's awesome. Yeah. The family that reads and writes poetry together stays together. There you go. That's what I heard. Yeah, that's the magic. <laughs> okay, so like I said, we're, we're out of time, but do you have, could you read a little bit? Um, so Farsi is known as the French of the Middle East, mm -hmm. and I've heard it many times, and I think it is a beautiful language. So mm -hmm. would you be willing to uh, read a poem or two in Farsi and then the, the English version as well? Oh, sure. So I'm going to do um, a so I write social and political poems and some love poems. We don't want to rile anyone up here, <laughs> so keep it clean. Yes, I Nothing will. too controversial. Absolutely, because, you know, without love, none of us could be here. Amen. 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 Amen to that, my friend. Okay, so this one, you asked me for something that I have a translation, quote-unquote. Yep. So I have yep. a very short one. Okay, um, sounds that good. I think I wrote in Farsi first, and then I translated to English. Well, that's another question. Sorry, quickly. Do you have a preference? Is no, there one that's easier no, than the other to write in no, for you? No, not really. Okay. So I usually write in one, and I usually don't translate them back and forth because that's a lot of work. Yeah. And something may sound much better in Farsi than it does in English. Right. Do they um, just kind of come out in whatever language they're going to come exactly, out in? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But this one, I just happened to like it, and it's very short, so I did it. All right, let's so do, do it. Do you want me to do the Farsi first or English? Let's do the Farsi first, please. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I do. I just, I understand why they say it's the... 
the uh, the French. It's just a beautiful sounding language. <laughs> so go. can you, you tell us what, what you just said in English? Yes. You so said your laughter is like a cool breeze on the back of my neck on a hot August noon. You know what? It's so funny. People have told me that a lot. There you go. People tell me that all the time. Yeah. They tell me that Just all the time. Just have to laugh. When yeah, it's no, hot. that's that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. And I had actually I read that one uh, on your on your I don't know probably Instagram before yeah. before today's. And I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. It's the I same. think you said you have another one. Um, I have one that I wrote for my son, and this is. Um, just in uh, English. Okay. I wrote English it works in English too. And I don't think I will translate this because he, you know, English is his first language yep. too. So yeah. All right. Do you want me to read that? Please do. My dearest one, you and I have shared the same body. And though there is a part of your heart that is a part of my heart, the moment you were born, I decided to set you free of my shadow. For it's my wish you had your own shores. And so you owe it to yourself to be the best version of yourself. In your eyes, I see a reflection of who I was, a weak portrayal of the future. But there is more to you than my eyes see. There is more to you than what your father dreams. And in your journey, I dream for you to test your own wings. And doesn't matter if you're an eagle or a sparrow. My wish for you is to fly free, to soar high. And I want you to dream your own dreams and make your own mistakes. My son, we are all products of operant conditioning. Seek your way free. And yes, you will be judged, but who cares? As long as you stay on your path. And my child, a wise man once said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. So don't let the highs to make you presumptuous. And don't let the lows to break you apart. And never forget, there are so many ways to be brave in this world. Bravery can be giving your life for something greater than yourself. But sometimes it is nothing more than just letting it go. Be brave, my boy. Don't you ever fear the opinions of others. Tell the truth that is in you and break the silence when you must speak. Let the light flow into your soul. Let love to soften your heart. And cry, baby. Cry if your heart is heavy. It will break a few times. I pray it won't. But if it does, before you will find one who will hold your heart in the softness of their heart, someone whose soul will see your soul, someone whose mind will match yours, you may have a few heartbreaks. But my boy, every scar will become the North Star of your life. You will learn, baby. But my dearest boy, continue the legacy of goodness. You are the future. Continue to be humble and fight for your sister's equality. And all the girls your age, they are the future woman. Equality is their right. Those are the sort of bravery I wish for you. Continue the legacy of manhood. My boy, my hope is you will never speak low of any woman, not because they remind you of your little sister or mother, 
but because each and every human deserves respect, needs compassion, this world is yours. Work hard, baby, to make it a better place, a safe heaven for all. My sweet boy, let it happen to you. Stay in the moment, good and bad. Don't lose the sight. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Nothing is the end. The magic of life is this. It is eternal. Beautiful. Thank you. No, thank you for sharing. And, you know, I was just thinking so many things as you were reading that. But one thing, a couple things that, that stand out was, uh, did you, you obviously shared this with him. And yes. what was his reaction? It's like, oh, mommy, I love <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess he is 15, right? He's I guess, 13. He's 13. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, mommy, he, that's cute. Yeah, he tells me not to kiss him and front yeah. of his school when I drop okay. him off. <laughs> well, the other thing I was thinking is, I mean, it's basically a guidebook to how he should proceed with his life. I hope so. It's, it's yeah. I mean, it's you covered fine. a lot of ground there and <laughs> yeah, but I, I think you could share that with a lot of, of kids his age. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom and really good advice and insight there. So I hope so. Lucky him. And I hope he really takes that to heart and I'm thank sure he will. Thank you so much. Thank yeah, you, no, Matthew. thank you for sharing. And thank you for being here today. We are we really have to go. This is now my longest show ever. Awesome. At least in this I, I, in this I break the record. You broke the time. record. Okay, there you go. Um and and we still have much more that we could talk about, <laughs> so you're going to have to come back. Yes. Um but let me just before uh before we say goodbye completely here, let me say Facebook you are Nahid Fatahi N A H I D F as in Frank A T T A H I. On Instagram, she's the opposite <laughs> She's Fatahi underscore Nahid. And partnership again for trauma recovery is traumapartners.org. Thank you again um, very much, Nahid, for Thank being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So that's all for today. Next week at a special time, 2 o'clock Pacific, 5 o'clock Eastern. So again, that's a few hours earlier than normal. Travel writers Kimberly Lovato and Jill Robinson will be on the show to talk about their new book, 100 Things to Do in San Francisco Before You Die. Thanks again to today's guest, Nahid Fatahi. And last but certainly not least, thank you for watching and listening. If you like the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube, iTunes, and or Google Play. It's the only way I can get the word out, and it really helps, and I really appreciate it. The, uh, for more about me, rather, my website is MatthewFelix.com, and links to my social media books, podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, suggestions on how to get Facebook to work and uh, ideas for the show or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at FelixOnAir at MatthewFelix.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.